Take your Bible. We're in James chapter number one this morning, the letter to James. We've been in Hebrews the last couple of weeks. And if you go to Hebrews this morning, you've gone uh, one too far. Actually, one too soon. Keep coming to the uh, right and you'll hit the book of James. James chapter one. How many of you, as we talk for a few minutes this morning about some biblical wisdom for the new year, have played a game at some time or another that we commonly know as hurry up and wait. Would you raise your hand this morning? You love to do that, don't you? Whether it's at the doctor's office or the hospital or a theme park, how about an amen this morning? Or a car dealer where you rush and you hurry and you scurry to get somewhere early and fast and beat the crowd only to find that you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait. Well, I've played that game and you have too, and we don't like it, but here's the thing, from a spiritual perspective, the concept of hurry up and wait is actually something that's very positive. At least in one area of Christian discipleship, which I think is something that as we enter into a new year, every one of us who follow the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be reminded of because it's something that we all tend to wrestle with. And that is the particular area of discipleship that relates to the words we use and how we use them. In the first part of 2018, we're going to be talking a whole lot at Hillcrest about the subject of Christian relationships And this statement here in the first chapter of James is just one of the most important when it comes to growing in healthy relationships, both in the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ. It's a very familiar statement. Many of you know it, but I think it's a good reminder on a day like today. James 1, beginning in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person... Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now let me ask you, don't you think that's a good reminder as we go into the new year together? Man alive, because this is something that we all struggle with. It's something that we all wrestle with. In fact, let's read the text out loud together Again, verse 19, let's say it together. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Judy told me I should have used this text on the Sunday before Christmas when everybody was out punching each other in the face in the mall. James actually writes a lot. When you read all five chapters, doesn't James write a lot about how we use our tongue? You know, he talks about the tongue being a deadly poison, a burning fire. He says that the person, the man or the woman, that's able to bridle his or her tongue. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, James says he is a perfect man, able to bridle even his own body. So what he's saying there is, here's the deal, it's a small muscle, but if you learn to control that muscle, you can control any part of your body with relative ease. It's just a very 
tenuous part of our makeup. It's one that we don't often control, and yet the biblical writers are consistent in addressing the issue. And James is especially true uh, with respect to that. And the reason that's true is because he knows, even in the first century church, they were struggling with this. And he knows that the tongue is an instrument. It's small, but it's an instrument of incredible power. I mean, you can do really good things with the words you use, can't you? The tongue can be an instrument of blessing. It can encourage. It can praise. It can uplift. But that same tongue can also be an instrument of destruction. It can discourage. It can knife. It can castigate. It can wear down. It can manipulate and it can deceive. And that's why you have to be aware of the tongue and its usefulness and its destructiveness. Leonardo da Vinci was the true Renaissance man, painted the greatest painting that has ever been painted, the Mona Lisa that hangs in the Louvre in, London, or in Paris. And he was a very curious man, maybe the most curious man. He had questions about everything. He observed everything. And he may have been the most curious man since the time of Christ. He kept these intricate notebooks that contained all kinds of sketches and drawings and to-do lists, one to-do list after another. Do this and do that and remember this and check this out and observe this and write about that. And on one of his to-do lists, Leonardo da Vinci wrote these words, describe the tongue of a woodpecker. Now, only a genius would give a rip about the tongue of a woodpecker. I didn't even know a woodpecker had a tongue. But it has a really long tongue. The tongue of a woodpecker can extend three times as long as its bill. And the reason that God made it that way is because a woodpecker, I don't know if you know this or not, pokes holes in trees. And then they use that really long tongue to go down in those holes to extract bugs and insects which they eat. But what you don't know about the woodpecker's tongue maybe is that when it's not in use, it's retracted back and it coils around its brain. It literally wraps around the brain. And you know why God designed it that way? Because it cushions the brain when the woodpecker is landing all those blows on a tree. 10 times the force in one blow of a woodpecker's peck on a tree 10 times the amount of force it would take to kill a human being. So I'd say its brain needs to be protected. But here's the point. The woodpecker's tongue is an instrument of tremendous usefulness to the woodpecker, but only when it's back inside of its mouth. That's when it does the most good. Otherwise, the woodpecker dies doing what God created it to do. And that idea of learning to restrain your words and your responses, of generally speaking, learning most of the time to keep your tongue inside your mouth rather than out of your mouth, is at the heart of this proverb-like statement that James makes in James chapter 1. He begins by a little introduction. Know this, my beloved brothers, which is his way of emphasizing what he's getting ready to say. This is his way of saying, listen up, because what I'm getting ready to say is really very important. And then what he says next involves sort of a specialized or spiritualized version of hurry up and wait. He says three things that describe a spiritualized process of hurry up and wait. He basically says, I want you to learn to be quick in one area and then slow down 
in two other areas. In other words, hurry up in one and learn to wait in the other two. The first thing that he emphasizes, the quick part, the hurry up part, involves the importance of listening. How many of you need to hear what I'm about to say this morning as it relates to listening? Because we tend to be much more adept at talking than we do at hearing. But James begins by saying, let every person be quick to hear. If you're using a new international version, it says everyone should be quick to listen. Now, why is that important? Well, because we learn more from listening than we do from talking. There's a reason that God gave you two ears and one mouth. Can I have an amen this morning? And it's kind of an old uh, tongue-in-cheek statement, but I believe the principle is true. That means that you should do twice as much listening as you do talking. That's not in the Bible, by the way, but I do think it is a good rule of thumb because most of us kind of wrestle with this concept of learning to listen. And that was certainly true, evidently, in the early church because James is writing this 2,000 years ago, for crying out loud. He's writing a letter to a community that's not all together together. You know what I mean? So there's some of this going on in the early church that James is leading. He says, for example, in James 4, beginning in verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Which evidently implies that they were having some of that going on in the church. And then he answers his own question. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, metaphorically speaking, you murder with your mouth. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And, of course, much of those disagreements stemmed from selfishness and a lack of understanding. And let me just say this morning, misunderstanding usually stands at the heart of most broken relationships. Have you ever, have you ever observed that? How oftentimes there'll be a falling out between parties and the, and the actual, when it all settles out, the end result is there was a lack of proper understanding some way. And misunderstanding always results from a breakdown in communication. And you're not going to hear and you're not going to understand very much if you spend most of your time talking. And that's why James says right out of the gate here that we need to be quick to hear. Quick to hear what? Well, he doesn't define it. And so we have to read between the lines. And I think there are a couple of things that he's probably involving here. Certainly, we need to be quick to listen to God, quick to listen to his word. That's part of the reason we try to put together a reading plan from the Bible, because if you don't have a plan to listen to God, you probably won't spend much time listening to God. And that's why you need to be in the word, <clears throat> because this is God's voice to you. God speaks through his Holy Spirit. Yes, he does. But God speaks to us principally through his word. And you will not have the kind of life that brings about the righteousness of God, as James will later say, if you don't first learn to listen to what God has to say. You won't live in obedience unless you know what God has said in and through his word. James will talk a lot about the importance of both hearing the word and then being able to do the word because you first heard the word. People tell me all the time that they have difficulty in getting connected to the Bible. I just have a hard time getting connected to the Bible, and I have a hard time hearing from God. And you know, much of that, I think, is a result 
of the simple fact that we stay in a hurry all the time. I mean, we're just running constantly, going from place to place, thing to thing, to do to to do. And when you're in a hurry all the time, when your mind is just constantly cluttered with activities, with what happens next, and with things that you have to do, you'll find it very difficult to focus on God. And that's why I say you won't hear from God unless you have a plan to listen to God. And that's why you need to segment time beginning in the new year if you're not doing it regularly already. That this is the time, whether it's in the morning or at lunch or in the evening or whatever works, you set aside a time where you're going to hear from God. And that always begins with getting the word of God into your life. We all can grow here in this area of learning to hear the word of God and being quick to hear from the Lord. But I think in reality, that being true, James is probably more focused on learning to listen more to one another in our relationships. How many of you find yourself talking to somebody in a face-to-face conversation at church or at work or at a restaurant or whatever, and the other person is talking and you're not listening? What you're doing is thinking about what you're getting ready to say next. So we have a hard time focusing in on people and listening to people, and I think that's pretty much at the heart of what James is getting at here, learning to listen more effectively to one another, particularly within the context of our Christian community. Because when churches or personal relationships within churches begin to fracture, then many times it is because we have failed to properly listen to one another. And when we fail to listen, we usually lack understanding. And when we don't have understanding, we'll often make judgments that are devoid of all the facts. And healthy relationships often suffer irreparable harm when that happens. And so we need to, first of all, learn to hurry up in this area. This is one area the Bible says it's okay to be in a hurry. Be quick to listen. Be quick to hear. Be quick to hear from God. And be quick to stop worrying about what you're going to say next or do next and start really listening, standing in the feet of others in your personal relationships. All right? So be quick to hear one another. Secondly, the Bible would say that we need to think and pray before we speak. Open your ears and understand. That's the first principle. But then the second principle here, an area that we need to learn to slow down, is to think and pray before you speak. Verse 19, let every person not only be quick to hear, but then what comes next? Say it out loud. Slow to what? Speak, that's right. Now, would you uh, agree with me that one thing is for sure, we as a people, we figured this out, nobody had to train us, we tend to talk a lot. The average person will speak enough words in one year, not in a lifetime, but the average person speaks enough words in one year to fill over 60 books, and every book will have over 1,000 pages in it. I want you to think about that. That's how much we talk. 60, but in one year, one calendar year, in 365 days, you'll have a volume of 60 books, over 1,000 pages each, and that'll reflect everything that you've said in a year. So no doubt we use words a lot. We speak them constantly. And here's the thing about the day and age that we live in. Not only do we speak them a lot, we post them on social media platforms a lot. And I'd like to know how much of that that we do. And so it goes without saying, not all of our words are helpful words. 
Some are helpful, much of our speech is not. Winston Churchill, and there's a very good movie out about him right now, by the way, that I recommend very, very highly. But he was having a conversation with Lady Astor one time at a dinner party, and those two really didn't like one another very much, and they didn't try to mask it. They were both uh, quick-witted and had barbed tongues, and uh, Lady Astor uh, looked at the prime minister and said to him, you know what, Winston, if I were your wife, I would put arsenic in your tea. And Sir Winston looked back and said, woman, if I were your husband, I would surely drink it. (laughs) Not every word is helpful (laughs) or biblical. Those two need to read their Bible. Somebody say amen. Look at Proverbs 13 and verse 3. He who guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. You know, the book of Proverbs is a treasure trove regarding this particular area, the words that we use, and there are probably more verses in the book of Proverbs that deal with the sins of the mouth than any other subject, outside of the subject of wisdom itself, which is the principal subject of Proverbs. But you chain the verses in Proverbs, and they're scattered all over the place. There's no real organization to Proverbs. But if you take a comb and you organize Proverbs by topic, you'll find that there are a bunch of individual Proverbs that have to do with this very subject, learning to be slow to speak. Proverbs 21, 23 is another example. Whoever keeps or guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Now, you, that's just good common sense uh, statement right there, isn't it? Whoever guards his mouth keeps himself from trouble, and that's one of the lessons that I've not completely learned, but I'm still learning in my life. This principle maxim, are y'all still with me? Say amen. The less said, the better. The less said, the better. I was having a conversation uh, with one of our members who uh, loves to read about U.S. presidential history, and they know that I do as well, and you know, they said, well, we should go to lunch one time. And the person standing there said, well, one of my favorite presidents is Calvin Coolidge. And I said, Calvin Coolidge, silent cow, you know, known more than anything else for being reticent with his speech. He just never opened up his mouth. And somebody went to President Coolidge one time and said, I bet I can get you, I I have a bet with a friend that I can get you to say more than two words. And President Coolidge looked back and said, you lose. He learned to control his speech. This principle was something that was very real to him. The less said, the better. It's harder. It takes a lot more effort to use fewer words than many words when you speak them or when you wipe them. You know, the thing, speaking about Twitter and Facebook, the thing that I really liked about Twitter more than Facebook, because people go out on Facebook and they'll just tell you their life story. They'll tell you everything they want you to know that they know about a particular subject in 10 billion words or less, right? Which is the reason I don't do Facebook. I don't have time for that, and nor do I have enough money to buy the blood pressure medicine that I would need to read all of that. Twitter is better because it, it, you had to get everything in in 140 characters, which is like really short, right? Well, then this year, guess what Twitter did? They doubled the number of characters. Now it takes you 280, right? And I thought, well, okay, and then next year it'll be 460 or whatever the case might be because it's harder to be brief. It's harder to use fewer words. It's harder to write a short paper than it is a long paper. 
Any old yahoo can write a long paper. You just sit down and start typing. But it takes discipline to use fewer words. And there's just no question that the Bible teaches you need to use them carefully. In fact, to guard what you say. Because once you speak them, you cannot bring them back. You can't reel them back in. I've told my kids that, especially in an age where people tend to put everything they're thinking out on the web. That stuff never goes away. Somebody is storing that somewhere. And so you'll never be able to get that back. And so you need to be very judicious. You don't have to explain something that you never said. Amen. And so the less said, the better. That's very biblical. Not that you should never say it, by the way. I'm not saying that there are some things you should never say. What I am saying is just be careful before you do. Think clearly and pray about it first. Because even though it's not said this way in the Bible, the principle's still there. Think before you speak. Learn to engage your mind before you engage your mouth. Because the truth is, we can talk too much. We can say things in the wrong way. We can say them at the wrong time with the wrong spirit and with the wrong tone. How many have had somebody do that in your, in your experience? We have that happen all the time. Where people will bring something up and it's not the right time or they'll bring something up and it'll be in the wrong tone or they'll be pointing a finger at you or sticking it in your chest or whatever. There's a right way to confront and then there's a wrong way to confront. And I've had that experience my whole ministry where people will come up to me in the most inopportune of places in, in the house of God with people around and say things that really are better said somewhere else. And I'll leave thinking, man, if they'll say that to me in that way in the house of the Lord with people standing around, how do they talk at home? How do they comport themselves where they work? Right? And so the Bible says that you need to have a governor that's very Christ-like. Because the Bible says, again, Proverbs 10 and 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Or Proverbs 17 and 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. I remember learning this when I was a little boy about the wise old owl who sat in an oak. And the more he saw, the less he spoke. And the less he spoke, the more he heard. Oh, to be like that wise old bird. That's not in the Bible either. But the principle is very much all over the Scriptures. We need to be quick to hear. Open your ears and understand. We need to be slow to speak. Think and pray before you speak. And then finally, count to ten before you react. And again, the Bible doesn't use those words either, but the principle is surely in there. This is the principle of learning to reflect before you react. And again, here's James chapter 1. Let every person be quick to hear slow to speak, and then what's the last thing he says? Say it out loud. Slow to anger. And then he gives you a reason. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Or as the New International Translation says, a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life 
that God desires. Now, you don't have to be a social scientist, and I probably don't even have to tell you this morning that we're in the midst of an anger epidemic in the United States of America and around the world. We got a bunch of angry birds in the world today. Popping off, going off, saying whatever comes to mind first. In fact, social scientists have this concept of connecting different kinds of anger with the word rage, right? We all know what road rage is, but there's all kinds of rage. There's air, how many of you have seen the, the vignettes on the news of people losing it on airplanes? And they have to divert and land some. That's called airplane rage. And how many of you have read stories about parents on Little League fields losing it and charging umpires, taking them to the ground? That's called parent sports rage. And it just seems anymore that rage is all the rage. We have all these things that tend to just tick us off, and then we just go off. I was at um, a light several months ago, this year, this, this, earlier this year, with my daughter. And we were at the light coming off of 29 Highway. They're going to turn left. We were coming to the church, turning left onto Nine Mile Road. Now, all of us have gotten behind people that we know they're in front of us, and we know they're on the phone, right? They're texting on the phone, checking their social media, whatever, because it's a long light, and how many of you have had a toot that somebody goes on? You just give them a little toot on the horn. Well, I wasn't even on the phone, but I was talking to my daughter. We were having a conversation, and I wasn't looking. And the next thing I know, this guy behind me, I mean, he doesn't toot the horn because I know what a toot is. This bad boy laid on the horn. <clears throat> I mean, just laid on it. Uh, 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 uh. And my first inclination was to do absolutely nothing. <laughs> to put the car in drive and just sit there because he couldn't get around me. But I didn't do that. You'd be proud of your little pastor. I went on, and when I went through the light, man, that guy came around me, just gunned it around me, and then pulled right in front of me and went a normal rate of speed. And we're coming up on a place that has a sign out in front of it that says Hillcrest Church. Oh! And I looked at my daughter and I said, I know this is mean-spirited, but I really hope that guy turns into my church. I really do. I hope he turns into the church. And honey, I'm just telling you, I'm going to drop you off and I'm going to find him. And it's probably a good thing that he didn't turn into the church because I would have ignored everything that I'm preaching to you this morning. It would have been out the window if I had found that guy who was part of my church doing that. But we all know what experiences like that are. I mean, we go through it, and that's just kind of the world that we live in. And I'm telling you, that the, the, the level of uncontrollable anger just amazes me. And I'm telling you, one thing that you can be sure is when everybody or somebody reacts like that, Whenever you have somebody, and that's their reaction to just about anything, can I make an absolutely concrete statement? Are y'all listening? Say amen. Whenever that happens, somebody is not walking in the Spirit of God. I mean, it may not be that you don't know God, <clears throat> but you've forgotten about God. 
And there probably hadn't been a lot of time spent with the Lord that morning. That much you can take to the bank. The Bible does not teach that anger is wrong. Anger is a God-given emotion. God gets angry. But the Bible does teach that anger is unproductive most of the time. It's destructive more than it's helpful most of the time. Because James says we don't process it properly. And when that happens, we do not reflect the righteousness of God. That's why James gives us an explanation. You don't look like God. You don't reflect a life that's walking in the spirit of God. And that, of course, whenever that happens, it means you might yield fruit with your life, but it's going to be bitter fruit in terms of how you impact your culture with the gospel. That's why you need to learn to reflect before you react. Again, I'm going to Proverbs a lot this morning because there's a lot in Proverbs about this. Proverbs 16, 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. I think James was aware of that statement when he wrote what he did about a man bridling his tongue, able to bridle his whole body. Because there's great strength that comes when you get victory over the words that you use. One of the great remedies for a hot temper is delay. Write that in your notes. Delay. Just stop. Delay before you react. I think it was Thomas Jefferson who said that. When you're angry, count to 10. And when you're very angry, count to 100. And you know what James would say? If you're still angry when you get to 100, then just keep on counting until you cool your jets. Delay before you react. When he was president, Abraham Lincoln often wrote a letter in time of frustration. You can look at his Civil War correspondence. And he would get upset with generals. And we have reams of his correspondence. But what's interesting to me is a lot of times when he would be upset, he would sit down and he would write a letter. And then rather than posting it and giving it to his secretary to have it delivered, he would take it, fold it, put it in an envelope and pigeonhole it. He would stick it in the pigeonholes of his roll-top desk, intentionally delaying before he sent it. And then In the morning when he came back to his desk, the first thing that he would do is take those unsent pieces of correspondence out. And nine times out of ten, he would never send them. He would mark the envelope with the word, and we have these. He would mark the envelope with the word unsent, and then he would have it filed. It was cathartic for him to write it, but most of the time, he would feel better the next day. And he would never send it. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of y'all get emails regularly where you wish the person that sent you that email had sent it first to the draft folder and just let it sit there for a while? We all have. And I have, I have a personal re, uh, uh, requirement that if that's the case, that's what I do with it. I first send it to the draft file. I let it sit there at least overnight most of the time. I never send it. I learned that from Abraham Lincoln. See, the Bible says that among the marks of the Spirit-filled life, there are ways that you can tell if you're walking in the Spirit of God. The Bible calls them the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace. Have you thought through the whole list? 
Love, joy, these are the marks of the Spirit-filled life. Love, joy, peace, patience. Oh, patience. What's the next one? Kindness. What's the next one? Goodness. What's the next one? Gentleness. What's the next one? Self-control. Okay, let's count those up. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Which is the Bible's way of saying, you know what, there's a time to get angry and there's a time to deal with angry issues in your life. But the reality is, generally speaking, those who follow Jesus Christ and who look like Jesus Christ are going to be good, gentle, kind, nice people who are self-controlled in their disposition. That's how you know a person is walking in the Spirit of God. Now, make no mistake, we're not teaching that you should never confront issues. Hard issues have to be confronted. But what I am saying is that you learn to respond properly when you're angry. Some things ought to make you angry because some things make God angry. And the things that make you really angry should be the things that make God angry. But you just learn how to properly respond when you're angry, particularly in the body of Christ, because there are certain things, even certain hurts, where to look like Jesus, you know what you got to do with those hurts? You got to let them go. You just let them go. <clears throat> you say, well, I've always been taught that the best thing to do when you're angry is just get it all out. Just let it all out. Well, you didn't get that from the Bible. Because that would be the last thing that the Bible says you should do. That's destructive. To verbally vomit on somebody else, and then you walk away feeling really good. Boy, I'm glad I did that. I sure feel better. And the other person's got ooze just dripping off of them. No, you didn't get that out of the Bible. If you've got to get it out, here's what you do. You get it out to God. You get it out to the Lord. And you say, Lord, <clears throat> if there's anything to be done about this, you're better and a more fair judge than I am. So I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to release it to you. And isn't that what Jesus did? Who when he was reviled, reviled not in return. That's what the Bible says. When he was insulted, he made no threat. But he kept on entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. The Bible says Jesus was abused, Jesus was mocked, Jesus was spit upon, Jesus had the hair plucked out of his face, Jesus had a crown of thorns placed on his head, Jesus had railroad spikes driven in his hands and feet, nailed to a cross of wood, and the Bible says as far as it came to retaliation, he opened not his mouth. He just gave his case to God. And he chose to what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That, brothers and sisters, is processing anger in a Christ-like way. Learn to reflect before you react. And that's how you build a healthy community and healthy relationships that glorify God. Well, have you got it, brothers and sisters? The spiritual principle of hurry up and wait. Let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, 
and slow to become angry. That, brothers and sisters, is practical, biblical wisdom that every single one of us needs to be reminded of as we begin a new year of family dynamics and relationships at Hillcrest Church and beyond, even around the world. This is God's word, and let all who agree say amen.